Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 18 this morning. So we continue in our study of this great gospel. If you have looked at your order of worship, you've seen the title there. What was Peter thinking? Well, I don't think I can, that is a rhetorical question. I don't think I can tell you exactly what he was thinking uh, on that particular night, warmed himself by that fire as, as he was in the high priest's courtyard. But I, I do think there's some things about Peter here that we need to remember and think about as we, as we look at this passage this morning. It's amazing, titles of sermons sometimes have nothing to do with the sermon itself. You know, you notice that sometimes. Uh, sometimes I get clever with sermon titles and forget to tell you why I chose that sermon title. That was last week when I said to the Jews first, and we went to looking at uh, Jesus before Annas, the, the high priest, the, the, uh, the father-in-law of the high priest that year, uh, one, had, who had been high priest. And the, the play I wanted to make on that was out of Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And, and the point was that everywhere you see Jesus going, his message, his person is going to the Jews first, even in his trial, e even in uh, his, uh, his heading toward the cross. He goes before the Jews before he ever goes before the Gentiles. And, and they totally misunderstood his purpose, and they totally misrepresented him. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of being taken to the Jewish leaders to be heard first, here you have Peter following along. Now, there's something to be said for Peter actually following along. Him and another disciple evidently followed shortly behind Jesus as he was led away from the garden and led away into the, uh, into the high priest quarters there to be heard by Annas. But, but I want you to see Peter's denials because they're very telling and they're very important. There's two sections here, and we're going to look at both of those. This first denial was in the middle of the passage we looked at last week, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now, it's John in his classic style doesn't say who that is. Most people believe it's John himself. There's some question about whether John would have actually known the high priest, and it says here that other disciple was known to the high priest, so... Some have speculated that maybe, maybe this was Nicodemus, or maybe this was Joseph of Arimathea, one of the other secret disciples who very well would have been known very well by the high priest. But most people, and myself included, think that it's probably John speaking in his cryptic tone here. And he says, Simon Peter was following, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. And then you have the encounter with Annas, and then he sends him out. And then you find down in, in verse 25, 
Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the, high, and one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative, I love John's detail here, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again. And immediately a rooster crowed. Immediately the cock crowed. Now, all four Gospels give us the encounter of Jesus denying the Lord. All four of the Gospels tell us that that Jesus had predicted that. Jesus had told Peter, in his boldness, you're going to deny me before the cock crows. You're going to deny me three times. And each of the Gospels record that. Uh, Matthew records it in chapter 25, Mark in chapter 14, and Luke in chapter 22 with some similar things and some dissimilar things. Some report different aspects. As we've talked about, the gospel writers are not interested in being lockstep in how they report it. They're giving their perspective. They're giving what they saw and what they remembered and what the Holy Spirit called to their mind as they wrote this down. But John gives us some details the others don't. John says, hey, it's a charcoal fire. And I don't know what the significance is. I can't build a sermon around a charcoal fire. But no, the others tell us it was a charcoal fire. But evidently, John thought that was fairly significant for us to know. But as he relates this account, as he relays this, as he accounts for us this denial of Peter, I want you to see there, it's, it's very significant, first of all, that Jesus predicted it, back in chapter 13, verse 38, and, and that his foreknowledge of the event was not only, not simply about the events of his arrest. He was talking about he was going to be taken, he was going to be arrested. But he also knew about the responses of those who were his followers. And so there's an important thing to see here that Jesus knew about it. Jesus knew what was going to happen. And Peter didn't think it would. And remember, Peter was so bold and declarative that this will never happen. I will go to my death if I have to before I would deny you, but then he does exactly what our Lord tells us that he's going to do and tells him that he's going to do. It's very significant to see that Peter, the bold one, Peter, the strong one, Peter, the one who always had something to say at, at every occasion and always spoke for the other disciples, you find Peter, that one who was so bold and so firm, standing there and saying, no, I don't know him. Not significant that it happens on this night. Just a few hours after the Lord's Supper, just a few hours after hearing our Lord pray that phenomenal prayer in John 17, praying for his disciples to be kept from falling, to be kept from the evil one, and now Peter finds himself in the midst of other people, in the midst of his peers in one respect, in the midst of those surrounding him, in the, in the high priest quarters, and he finds himself saying, the one I've committed my life to, the one whom not long ago I was standing and saying, no matter what everybody else says about this man, here's what I say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus said, yes, Peter, my father's revealed that to you. You know the truth. It's not your own intellect. It's not your flesh and blood that revealed that, but my father's revealed it to you. Yes, Peter. You are the one who made great declarations upon which Jesus said, I will build my church. But here we see Peter, 
in the courtyard talking to slaves of the high priest and saying, no, I don't know him. No, I never knew him. One has him say, no, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Another gospel writer says that on that last time, on that third time, he actually swore, I don't know the man, and used words that perhaps were not appropriate for who he was. There's several things I want you to see about Peter, though, that make great application to you and me. First of all, I want you to see the amazing degree of weakness that can be found even in a real Christian. I want you to see the amazing degree of weakness. We, we saw the amazing degree of the, the hostility and the depravity of man through those who came after Jesus and through those who heard the testimony and would not believe who he was, believed a lie instead. We've seen the amazing calmness of Jesus as he stood there and took the accusations that were absolutely untrue. But I want you to see also that there's an amazing degree of weakness found in, in even a real, true believer. There's nobody who doubts that Peter knew the Lord. There's nobody who doubts that Peter really was a disciple. He really was one who belonged to him. He was one that Jesus talked about in that prayer to the Father. Father, of those that you have given me, I'm not going to lose a single one. He belongs to Christ. He is what we would call a saved and a redeemed person. And yet, even in the midst of that, there is a weakness, there's a flaw in somewhere in his character that brings out a weakness that's current even in the strongest, most real Christian you know. And I would say to that, if it's true of Peter, it can also be true and will also be true more than likely of you and me. I had uh, Pastor Scott read that passage out of 1 Corinthians 10, that passage about where he's talking about the Old Testament examples, but he says these things are given as an example that we might know them, that we might follow them, that we might not fall into the same traps that they fell into. And, and I think that to a great extent, that's why Paul is, uh, uh, that's why John is giving us this here, and Paul is, is referring to even this in his passage, that this is an example to us for what we are capable of. Indeed, in chapter 10, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Isn't that an interesting statement there that, that Paul makes? Be careful if you think you can stand, if you think I'm strong, I'm bold, I can take anything. Peter, Peter, I want to tell you something. They're coming for me, and you're not going to be able to withstand that. And Peter's saying, I want you to know, Lord, if I have to die with you, I'm ready to fight. I'll pull my dagger. I'll do whatever it takes. I will die for you, Lord. Nothing will make me fall. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to die me three times. Now, I'm sure that stung when Jesus said that to Peter, but I'm also equally sure that in saying that, Peter still said, no, not me. Jesus, you got me confused with one of these other weaklings. You've got me confused with Judas, who was not a believer, was just among us, and he went out and betrayed you. Jesus, you've got me confused with somebody else. I will never deny you. Be careful when you think you will stand in your own strength that you don't fall. That's why our hope, our strength, our focus must be on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have it within ourselves. I don't care how spiritual you think you are, how strong you think you are, or I think I am. 
if we take our eyes off of Him and if we remove our dependency from walking with Him and trusting in Him alone, we will fall. There's an amazing degree of weakness within every believer, even real Christians. The second thing, I think this fall, of this, this, this denial of Peter, and I'm calling it a fall, and I don't want you to misunderstand me here. When I say fall here, I don't mean he's falling out of salvation. I don't think he's losing his relationship with Christ, because he's not. That's clear. But, but it's, it's a fall. It, it's a denial. It's a, it's a troubling time. But I, I want you to understand, that's to be a lesson, I think, for the whole church. It's to be a lesson for you and me. When Paul says, make this example, look at this example, understand that you're capable of the same idolatry, understand you're capable of the same immorality, understand that you're capable of all these things if you don't keep your focus on Christ. You and I, we look around and we hear about people falling into sin and our Typically, our first response many times is, boy, I'd never do that. You'll never find me guilty of that. Well, I would never think of doing that at all. And, and I think what Jesus wants us to see in this denial passage is, don't kid yourself. This is a lesson for everyone that under the right circumstances and under the, the wrong focus in your life, you're guilty of just the same sin, just the same struggle that Peter was. I think thirdly, it shows the danger of pride and self-confidence. If Peter had not been so sure, if Peter had not been so certain that even though everybody else may deny you, I would never do that, maybe you wouldn't have fallen. Maybe if he had listened to his Lord who said, listen, Peter, you're weak. One of the passages tell us that, that Jesus says to Peter, listen, Satan has asked permission tonight to sift you like sand, and, and that's going to happen. And Peter said, Satan, who's that? He can't do anything to me. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. I'm the strong one. Remember Jesus? Remember, that's what I am. Pride and self-confidence is a devastating sin in the life of many believers. Pride and self-confidence, not Christ-confidence, will lead to more destructions and more downfalls than anything you've ever seen. Peter had it. Peter was sure of himself. And Peter fell. There's another thing about Peter. I think it shows us the danger of laziness. You say, now, where do you get that? He's just warming himself by the fire. It's obviously a cold night. Well, not there, but just a few hours earlier. The synoptics particularly talk about this, how they, they went out to pray. Jesus took his disciples out after they'd observed that last supper together, and they went out into the garden to pray. And Jesus said, now, you guys stay here and, and, and pray, and he took some a little closer with him, and they prayed, and Jesus poured out his heart before the Father. And when he, when he stopped praying, he looked around, and what was Peter and John and James and all the others doing? They were sleeping. Jesus had to say to them, could you not even pray with me for an hour? Could you not even persevere for an hour? I know you're tired, but you think you're tired. Look at what I'm, 
gone through the, what you have and what I'm about to go through. Yeah, we're tired, but why in the world can't you just focus for one hour? They were lazy. They were sleepy. They were tired. There's a danger in us to be lazy in our spiritual disciplines. It's a danger of us saying, well, I'll pray later. I'll study the word later, and that later never comes. There's a danger of us saying, well, I don't, I don't have to do that because I know I'm strong. That's what Peter was saying, I think. There was a spiritual laziness. I don't know if Peter would have still denied him if he had watched and prayed our, as our Lord advised him to do, indeed called him to do. Uh, it may very well be that in the time of his denial, he would have found grace and he would have found strength that he didn't even know he had that would have helped him in that time of need. But I do know this, he did not follow the counsel of Christ watch and pray and to be focused on what was about to come and who would be and what would be his only deliverance from that but I think finally one thing it shows us and it's certainly not the least of all but it shows us the painful influence of the fear of man in our lives you know the, the Old Testament tells us in Psalms and Proverbs and the wisdom literature that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, the fear of God is to stand before God in awe and in worship and in focus and know Him in a true way and, and recognize that He is the one who has the power of life and death. He is the one who has the, li- the power of spiritual life and death. And, and so we, 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 we need to understand that, that when others when we start fearing man rather than fearing God, we weaken. We become susceptible. Few people are aware how much more they fear the face of man than they do the face of God. Here you have Peter. Peter's been with Jesus for three years plus. Peter's heard him teach. He's seen the miracles. He knows who he is. He knows that those miracles were signs that he's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher, but he is indeed God in the flesh. He knows that those are the signs of his deity. He knows him. And yet when he's confronted in the courtyard of Annas, when he's confronted there simply by a servant girl or a servant in other cases, a slave in in the concept of, of rank lower than him. But maybe those who had the ear of the authorities who were about to crucify Jesus and he knew that if they had the ear of Caiaphas and had the ear of others that they could suffer the same fate. And so Peter said, Peter just played it safe. He said, I, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm just here warming my hands. I'm not, I'm not here for any other reason. It's a lie. He was following after his Lord. He was desiring to know what was going on. But because he feared man more than he feared God because his focus was taken off of the Lord who would ultimately win, placed on the circumstances that were taking place around him, 
Peter was weakened, and that flaw in his life came to the forefront, and he denied Christ. You know, these things are written for our admonition. They're written for us to remember. And we would be wise to remember Peter. We would be wise to remember this episode in Peter's life. There's a lot of other great episodes in Peter's lives. Caesarea Philippi and the, and the confession I talked about earlier. Over in the book of Acts, some of the things, Peter had some ups and downs. I mean, we know that he, he wasn't perfect. And you know why? Because he's like us. But we would be wise to learn from him. But, but let me tell you what would be more wise to remember. We'd be wise to remember that the writer of Hebrews tells us that, that we, have a, we have a great high priest who is merciful. Peter learned about that great high priest just a few days later. I mean, Peter felt bad in the garden. Don't you know he felt bad in this courtyard? Don't you know every time, every time a servant said to him, you were with him. And he said, no, I wasn't. I don't know him. Don't you know? He said, oh, I can't believe I said that. That's just once, though. Another servant said, oh, you were with him. You're one of his disciples. No, no, I'm not. Mm, Why did I say that? That's just two, though. And then finally, the servant who was a relative to Malchus, whose ear Peter cut off, when they came to arrest Jesus, that servant relative said, I saw you there with him in the garden. I saw you with him. And he said, I, I, I was not there. I don't know what you're talking about. Then the rooster crowed. You know Peter felt terrible. You know he must have gone away and hidden himself hidden himself and wept bitterly, not like Judas wept. Judas wept because he knew he was, he'd done the crime of the century, the crime of all generations. He, he knew that, that he had fallen because he didn't really know who Christ was. Peter wept repentantly. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of neat that you know that when Jesus went to the cross and those three days he was in the tomb, Peter must have just beat himself up unmercifully. He must have said, I was an idiot. I don't know why I did that. I, I didn't want to do that. You ever done that? Ever fall into sin and, and then just beat yourself up about it? You know, why did I do that? That was, that was not smart. You know Peter was doing that. But after his resurrection, after his resurrection, he gives instructions, go tell Peter and the other disciples. And he restores Peter, and he, 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 he lifts him back up. He, he restores him in full fellowship, in full forgiveness, and full cleansing for that, for that denial. He, he restores Peter. He didn't cast him aside. You know, it just reminds me that the writer of Hebrews says, listen, you have a merciful and caring high priest. You have one who has experienced temptation 
just as you have, and yet without sin. You know, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I mean, Jesus, Jesus came to Peter after the resurrection, and Peter experienced the comfort and the sympathy and the love and the compassion and the caring of a great high priest beyond anything he could imagine. He received forgiveness. And the same compassionate hand that saved him from drowning when he was walking out to him on the sea, when his faith failed him on the waters, was once more stretched out to raise him up when he fell in the high priest hall. I mean, that's just, that's just who he is. That's who Jesus is to those who belong to him to those who have trusted Him, to those who, who walk with Him. Yes, we stumble, we fall, we do some boneheaded things as disciples of Christ. There is no doubt about that. He's our great high priest. And even though Peter looked at all the wrong things in that, in that courtyard, even though he succumbed to his own pride and it caused him to fall, and he succumbed, he succumbed to... To the, uh, uh, to the pressure of those around him. Jesus forgave him and restored him. I think it's kind of amazing that in the course of, what, maybe an hour? I don't know how long he was in the courtyard. John or none of the others tell us how long he was there. But I think it's amazing that in, the, in a very short frame of time, Peter, three times, said, I don't know him. I don't know him. Short period of time. Three times. I don't know who you're talking about. I, I wasn't there. I'm not one of them. No, not me. But in just three days, Peter is going to be restored, and for the next years of his life, he's going to spend it saying, I know him. I know him. I know the one who died in my place. I know the one who restored me after I fell. I know the one who is a gracious high priest. I know him, and you need to know him too. And all through the book of Acts, till he, till, till he disappears and gives way to, to Paul's ministry, you, you see Peter over and over again being used of God to proclaim the great glories of God, the great sovereignty of God, even in the death of Christ, the, the great purposes of God, and the great salvation that is in Christ Jesus. For the rest of his life, he spends not saying, I don't know him, but spends saying, I know him, and you need to know him too. And that's our message. Peter's fall needs to be an example to us that will make Christians, you and me, see more clearly our own weaknesses and Christ's great compassion.
And if we do that, if we see our weakness, our capacity to do exactly what Peter did, and if it breaks our pride and destroys our arrogance, then Peter's fall has not been recorded in vain. It's been recorded to help us press forward and not be self-confident, not think that we're stronger than we really are in our own strength, and, and to not be so fearful of the face of man that we look around and say, well, it's more convenient at this point for me to say, no, I don't know him. And to say, yes, I know him. And though all the world may say he's not who he says he is, though all the world may say it's foolish to have that kind of faith, I don't care. I know him. I know him intimately. I know him on the basis of my relationship with him. I, I know him. And if it'll drive us to prayer and the study of his truth more greatly, then Peter's fall, Peter's denials are not in vain. So what are you saying? What are you saying to the world that's all around you at work and everywhere else? Are, are you saying, I know him? Or are you by your life and actions, and maybe even by your words, saying, I, I don't know him, I'm just, you know, no, I don't know him. Don't know who you're talking about. Or you've been so touched by the grace of God, so touched by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, that you are committed for the rest of your life to say, I know him. I know him. And you should know him too. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about his resurrection. Let me tell you about his death for sin. Let me tell you about his power to save. Let me tell you about his redemptive strength. Let me tell you about his propitiation. His taking away the total, turning away the total wrath of God by his grace and for his glory. Are you a Peter pre-crucifixion? I don't know him. Are you desiring to be a Peter post-crucifixion, post-resurrection? I know him. Let's pray.